0: Didn't get a chance to say that earlier. It's good to see all of you, and I want to welcome all those who are joining us online. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it and turn with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians and find chapter 1 and just hold that there for a moment. While you're turning there, let me just say something to you real quick, and I need you to pay attention to this. Uh, At the end of the service today, when we come to the close of service, I'd appreciate it if you would stay to the very end because I have a really important announcement that I need to share at the end of the service, and so I know some of you like to cut out early, but I'd appreciate if you'd just stay until the end this morning. As you just heard on MPTV, we're beginning a brand new sermon series this weekend called The Power of One, and the idea behind this Power of One sermon series is really simple. Sometimes life is complicated, and sometimes it's not. And if we as believers can commit ourselves to the singular pursuit of the things that matter the most in our spiritual lives, then our lives of faith will be stronger and more productive. We're gonna spend some time over the next few weeks talking about some different things under the heading, the power of one. And this morning, we're gonna start by talking about one purpose, the pursuit of one purpose. I read an CNBC article recently. It was published in December of 2018, but I just read it recently about a man named Cheng Yun Chung who is the founder and chairman emeritus of Pacific International Lines, which is a shipping company. He's also the world's oldest billionaire. After eight decades, think about this for me, for a minute. After eight decades, 80 years of working to build his company, you would think that he would understand that it would be okay for him to take it easy and enjoy the fortune that he created. This is a man who literally... Literally has the money to do whatever he wants in the world. But instead, what he chooses to do every single day of his life, even at his age, is to get up and go to work. Every single day of his life. In 2017, he turned over the role of executive chairman of the company to his son and he modified his title and his role, but he's still involved in the daily operations and key decisions in the business. In fact, The article said that he keeps a diary of every single thing that happens each and every day, every meeting, every decision, every activity, everything that happens. And he says that work is not really an optional activity for him because, and this is a direct quote, I can't stay home, I'd get bored. Now, can we just honestly together acknowledge this morning that most people can't understand that kind of thinking? I mean, in fact, most people, and... You're lying if you didn't say this went through your mind. Most people would say, if I had a billion dollars, I could think of something different to do every day than get up and go to work. But I don't think that kind of response from people like you and me indicates that we're somehow lazy or we don't have focus in our life. It just means that unlike this gentleman we may not have a clear-cut, well-defined sense of purpose in our lives. Because when you have a sense of purpose in your life, a well-defined sense of purpose in your life, then you're going to pursue that purpose every single day of your life, whether it pays you a little or whether it pays you a lot or whether it pays you nothing at all. And so the question this morning is, what's your purpose? In your life as a Christian, in your life of faith, in your life of trying to honor God... What's your purpose? Maybe I should make it even more specific and say, what's your one purpose? What's that one thing that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been called to do? I love the story of Dr. John Getty, who was a Presbyterian missionary who served what was then the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. I can remember reading about Dr. Getty when I was in college He served as a missionary to that part of the world for 24 years. And when he left on a tablet erected to his memory in the church where he preached, these words are inscribed. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. I think you could say that John Getty was a man who knew his purpose. And so I'll repeat the question, what's your purpose? I know that's not an easy question to answer because it can involve so many different aspects of our lives. It can involve our family, our work, our hobbies, and certainly it involves our lives of faith, our spiritual lives. And I also know that it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing because it's got to be something that's custom-made for you that speaks to your heart and the passions of your life. So, what I want to do for just a few minutes this morning is I want to spend some time talking about what I think are some great guidelines that we can all follow to help us to discover and refine what our purpose is in this life. And that brings us to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so, if you got your Bibles open there this morning and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the scripture. It's a very brief scripture, it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. But before I read those two verses, as you got your Bible open there, just scroll up to verse 4 for a moment. Now, I want to tell you that this church in Thessalonica was a very special church, it was very special to the apostle Paul, and you can see that in what he writes in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, this is a part of his introduction, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. In other words, Paul, in the introductory remarks in this letter, says, we brag about you all the time. That's the kind of church that they were. And then you scroll down to verses 11 and 12, and you see our text. Follow along. Paul says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. There are some specific things that we see in this text, some key ideas that we see in this brief text related to discovering your life's purpose as a believer. And the first one is what I will just simply call God's call. If you'd like to take notes, write that down next to number one. Because when I I read, especially the very first part of verse 11 there, it's clear that as followers of Christ, we all have a calling to live up to. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, the very first part, what we might call part A says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. Everyone say call. Call. Now, I want you to know, and I've told you this over the years so many times, that it's always critical that we study the Bible in context, and as we look at those words in context, I'm certain that the call that Paul is writing about here is first and foremost God's call to salvation. But I think you can also say on a very practical level that it's not just a call to live up to God's salvation. It's also a call to live out the reality of salvation. And this is a call that God has on all of us as believers, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just people who serve in some kind of full-time vocational ministry. This is God's call for all of us. Not just to live up to the reality of our salvation, but to live out the reality of our salvation. There have been many, many times over the years in the different churches that I have served, including this one, when someone has reached out to me and said, "'Pastor, I think God is calling me into ministry.'" Maybe you've felt like that before. "'Pastor, I think, I believe, I feel, I sense that God is calling me into ministry.'" And while I understand what they mean, they mean I think God is calling me into full-time, some kind of full-time vocational ministry, or in other words, something that becomes my entire life, I always try to respond by saying or reminding them that God has called all of us, everyone say all of us, all of us into ministry. He's called all of us into ministry in that he's called all of us to live out the reality of our salvation in our lives every single day. And while for most of us that won't end up looking like full-time vocational ministry, that doesn't mean it's any less of a call because no matter who you are as a Christian, God has called you to live out the reality of your faith in a specific way toward a specific purpose. I believe that with all my heart. And Sometimes when I talk to people who feel that God is calling them into ministry, I'll just ask them this question. Do you think it's possible that your current job or some part of the ongoing ministry of our church could be that calling. And I ask that question because of my belief that a part of understanding God's call is oftentimes understanding that it begins right where you are. Usually when somebody says to me something like this, Pastor, I think God is calling me into ministry, then they're thinking about God has called them to some different area of life or different area of the world or something like that. But oftentimes, God's call to ministry begins right where we are. In just a few weeks in November we're going to begin our annual stewardship series, something that we do every year. If you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you know that every year we set aside some time in the fall, and we talk about what the Bible has to say about money, what the Bible has to say about how we manage or steward the money that God has entrusted to us. And we're going to do that in just a few weeks. This year's stewardship series is called God, Money, and Me. The tagline is discovering God's plan for financial freedom. One of the strongest things that the Bible teaches about money is the importance of generosity. You can't deny that truth. It's over and over again in the scriptures. In fact, the Bible teaches us that when we're generous with others, God is generous with us. And there's no better verse to describe that than Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25. We'll put that verse up on the screen. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25, where the proverb writer says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I don't think that verse requires any explanation. The meaning is really clear. But here's the common stumbling block for many people when it comes to generosity. They think, in fact, I've had so many people say this very thing to me over the years. They think, I'll be generous someday when I can afford to be generous, but that's not today. In fact, I can't tell you, friends, how many someday givers I've met in my life as a pastor. And someday givers, honestly, (laughs) they are the most generous people in the world because there's no limit to what they're going to give. Someday. Maybe that describes some of you. Maybe that's nervous laughter. (laughs) But as I've told you many, many times, God is not interested in what you might do with what you might have someday. He's interested with what you're doing with what you do have today. And so if you want to honor God with the way you manage whatever amount of money he's entrusted to you, and if you want to open the door for God's generosity so that you really do have more tomorrow, then you need to begin to be generous with what you have today. In other words, you need to begin right where you are. Financially speaking, in the area of stewardship and generosity, you need to begin right where you are. And listen to me, friends because I'm gonna say this with integrity. I believe that as strongly as I believe anything related to the Christian life, not just because that's what the Bible teaches, but because I've experienced this in my life over and over and over again. Well, I believe the same principle is true when it comes to discovering and living out God's call for your life, God's purpose for your life. You need to identify what you're passionate about and begin today right where you are to pursue that passion to His honor and His glory with whatever opportunity God places in front of you. You know, I was thinking about that point, and I realized that there have been a handful of times over the years when I, as the pastor of a local church, recognized that we had a ministry need. We had a staff need in our church. And let me tell you, hiring staff in any vocation is one of the most difficult things that any leader can do. And oftentimes what I have done is rather than going through the traditional route, I have just looked around the church that I served and identified somebody who was already actively and passionately serving in whatever ministry role that I needed to fill as a volunteer. And I've approached that person and asked them if they ever thought about the possibility of full-time vocational ministry in the local church leading in a role similar to what they were already serving in as a volunteer. It's never been somebody who had theological training. It's never been somebody who had any kind of a vocational ministry training. And it's never, ever been anyone who ever thought for a moment that one day they would be serving on the staff of a local church. Never. But it was always someone who was already Passionately serving in that kind of a role, in that kind of position, right where they were. Right where they were. Now, there are some questions that you could ask yourself to try to identify what your purpose is, that one purpose that you're really passionate about, so that you can live out the reality of your salvation, live out God's call to salvation in a way that honors him. You can ask yourself questions like, what are my spiritual gifts? You could create some kind of an elaborate vision board that can guide you. You could do all kinds of things. Or, or, you could just simply look around and identify the need or the needs that are right in front of you today, things that you may be really passionate about, and start meeting them now. There's no question for example, there's no question that God's will for all of us is to be involved in ministry that serves other people. The Bible teaches us this over and over again. In fact, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul writes and says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too, And you could go on and on and on. Listen, we discover God's purpose for our lives when we begin to recognize and respond to whatever opportunities or whatever needs God has placed in front of us right now today. And so let's stop wasting time thinking about what we might do someday, and let's start doing something today. Every one of us that lives out the reality of our salvation, that honors God, that's purposeful and direct and significant. Nothing will energize your spiritual life and nothing will energize the church in the world faster today than Christians who follow the example of Jesus and commit to looking for someone to serve rather than looking for someone to serve them. In fact, I ran across this quote the other day that was so powerful that I just had to include it in the message. The quote says, there's a radical shift in spiritual maturity that happens when you start asking, how can I serve my church instead of how can my church serve me? Listen to me, if your definition of spiritual maturity is limited to coming to church and listening to whoever the preacher is that morning share from the Scripture or just going to Bible study after Bible study. And don't you misunderstand my words because all of those things are really important. But if your idea of spiritual, spiritual maturity is tied only to that definition, then you're missing out. Because it's not just what we receive that makes us spiritually mature. It's also what we give. And every one of us is called to Give to give our hearts, to give our lives, to give our gifts, to give our talents, to give our skills in the pursuit of living out the reality of our salvation in the pursuit of that one purpose that we really know that God has created us for, that one thing that we're really passionate about. And so I just want you to know that sometimes discovering what that is begins right where you are. Let me give you a two-fold challenge, and this will be brief, the first one, especially because we've already been talking about it. The first challenge is this. Just begin to look for the needs that are right in front of you. That can include needs you notice in the daily routine of your life, in the network of your life, with the people in your life, or it could be needs that are already identified right here in the church. There's no shortage of opportunity for every single person in this church to be involved in service through the ministry of this church in some way. I can't tell you how many people will come up to me and say, I need to get involved in serving, and I just want to say, okay, then do it. I really need to get involved in a home group. Then do it. Because the next time, for example, the next time we start a new home group session, they come up to me, the same people come up to me and say the same thing over and over and over again. Just do it. The second challenge is this. Look at the world around you. Look at your life and just ask yourself this question. What captures my attention and what ignites my imagination the most? What captures my attention... And ignites my imagination the most. And I say that because chances are the answer to that question is a central part of whatever call God has for your life. Whatever call he's placed on your life. Whatever purpose he's got for your life. Look at this quote on the screen from theologian Frederick Buechner. I love these words. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What are you passionate about in your life, friends? What are you passionate about? I'm going to put Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11 up on the screen one more time, and I want you to read it with me, and I want, you, I want to hear your voices. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish All the good things your faith prompts you to do. Let me ask you a question. What good thing is your faith prompting you to do? What good thing is your faith prompting you to do? Write that question down in a personalized way and put it somewhere where you can see it every day. What good thing is my faith prompting me to do? Put it on the mirror in your bathroom, put it on the refrigerator. Wherever you find yourself, day after day after day, tape it to the side of your computer screen. What good thing is my faith prompting me to do? And get serious about God's call. Not just God's call to experience salvation, but God's call to live out the reality of your salvation by identifying That one thing, that one purpose that you can't imagine not being involved in. One of the things I love about our impact ministries is that... Our impact ministries have ignited that kind of passion in so many of our people here. And so now we have people who no longer worship here at Mount Pleasant on the weekend. They worship at one of our impact sites on the weekend, whether it's Impact Old Southside or Impact Fairfax or Impact Bethany. And all of them provide different options and challenges. Some of them are literally like going to a mission field. You go to Impact Fairfax and the neighborhood and community that church is located in, it's like going to the mission field. You're not getting on a plane and flying to a different country, but it is a mission Field just as surely as some of the places that we visit internationally. You go down to Impact Old Southside and you're talking about people who have raw needs, addictions beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine in our lives poverty, food insecurities, complicated relational lives. You go to Impact Bethany, and it's like being involved in a church plant all over again from the very beginning. And I'm so thankful for those people who, who look at that and said, man, that just speaks to my heart. That ignites a passion in my heart, and that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be involved in. That's how I'm going to live out the reality of God's call in my life. That's what I've been waiting for. What good thing is your faith prompting you to do? And if there's no answer to that question, then that creates another problem altogether. What good thing is your faith prompting you to do? The second thing, and I have to do this quickly, right down next to number two, the second thing that stands out to me from this brief text is not just God's call, but God's power, and I say that because there's no question that the power of God is a key element, not so much in discovering your purpose but in living out your purpose, not just in, in in discovering the need to live out the reality of your salvation, but being able to do that with a passionate pursuit of a singular purpose. We looked at verse 1 already uh, for God's call, and we focused on the first part of the verse. The second part of the verse, what we might call Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11b, says this, may he, we're talking about God, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. If you want to discover your purpose so you can live out God's call in your life, then you need to understand the importance of relying on the power of God, not just on your own ability but on the power of God. I love the story of how, and I know you're familiar with this story. I love the story of how how God redeemed the life of Moses. Spent 40 years of his life, the first 40 years of his life as a prince in Egypt, but you know he made a serious mistake. He killed an Egyptian and he fled from Egypt and he spent the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd in the middle of nowhere, unknown, under the radar, all alone for the most part. And God redeemed his life by showing up one day and speaking to him through a burning bush, telling him that he was to be God's man to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery. I know you know that story. You read about it in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. But when God did that, as far as Moses was concerned he didn't think that was something he could do, and God was making a mistake, and so he said no to God, basically. He pushed back uh, on God, basically, in a variety of different ways, uh, specifically from Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, all the way down to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 17. So, when God says in Exodus three ten to Moses, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses replies in Exodus 3, 11, and says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? And so, God says in verse 12, I will be with you. Moses made his first excuse and gave his first objection. He wasn't anybody significant. God said, Doesn't matter, I'll be with you. And Moses just kept coming back with God, at God rather, with questions and excuses about why this was a bad idea until you finally get down to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. And Moses says, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. And so God replies in Exodus 4, and said, who makes a person's mouth? Moses said, God, I can't speak. And God says, Moses, who made your mouth? That's not the entire conversation, but it's enough to remind us that when it comes to whatever we do for God, we don't rely on our own power. We rely on his. Ultimately, that's what Moses did. And you know the story. God came through for Moses in a really, really big way. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Well, what it means for you and me is we decide that we're going to live out the reality of our salvation by pursuing that one purpose with our lives that we're passionate about, that honors God We don't ask questions like, am I smart enough? Or am I talented enough? What am I smart enough to do? What am I talented enough to do? The only question we ask is, what is God big enough to do through me? And I hope you know the answer to that is, anything and everything. What is God big enough to do through me? Anything and everything. Someone once described it like this. They said, we should attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, we're sure to fail. That's a pretty big challenge. That might not be the perfect way to phrase it, but I like the idea behind it. That's because whatever good idea you pursue in your life as you live out the reality of your salvation and you pursue that one great purpose that you're passionate about whatever it is, great or small, you need to remember that you can only succeed by calling on the power of God. That's why Paul wrote what he did in Ephesians chapter three and verse 20 when he said, now to all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or imagine. We have an infinitely more God than all that we ask or imagine. Let me give one more thing real quickly, and we'll bring this to a close. Right down next to number three, we've talked about God's call. we talked about God's power. How about God's honor? God's honor. I want to just put 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 up there together, the entire passage, and I'm going to read it one more time. Paul says, so we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first part of verse 12 that really stands out to me. When we live a life worthy of God's call and we do it by relying on God's power, then God is honored. That's the simple truth that he's communicating. God is honored. Paul says, then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored. And so my simple question to you is, what better thing can you do with your life than live it in a way that brings honor to God? With all the things that you pursue in your life, all the things related to your family, all the things related to your, prof- your profession, whatever your job is, all the things you do related to the pursuit of the things that the world has to offer, whether it's money or possessions, all of the things that you do in the pursuit of hobbies and recreational things, and I'm not saying that any of those are bad, I'm just going to ask you this question, what better thing can you do than to make sure that you live your life in a way that brings honor to God? Now, I wish I could tell you this in specific, in specific detail this morning exactly what God's purpose is going to be for you, what that one purpose is for you, but that's not how it works. All I can do is point you to the clues that are found in places like this text that we're looking at today, but I'm as sure of this one thing as I am about anything. If you will pursue God, if you will reach out to God, if you will listen for the voice of God, if you will look around at what God how God directs your heart and your eyes and your mind when it comes to discovering your purpose, you can trust God to deliver. You can trust him to lead you. And not only will he deliver, not only will he lead you, but you can trust him to give you the power to accomplish whatever it is that he calls you to do. I wonder how many of us here this morning, and Jared and the team can come for our closing song. I wonder how many of us here this morning recognize the name John Kitna. You have to be a pretty significant football fan to recognize that name. He was an excellent athlete when he was in high school. He got a scholarship to play football at Central Washington University. He was a quarterback. Because Central Washington University is a very small school, most of their players don't make it to the NFL. But against all odds, he was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, and he ended up playing professional football for 16 years. It's amazing. 16 years. He played for Seattle, for Cincinnati, for Detroit, and for Dallas. And although he was never a big star, he had some big moments in his life and As a result of his 16-year career in the NFL, he made a lot of money. His salary, the last year he played, was $3 million a year. He didn't retire until he was at the age of 40, and he retired only then because of an injury. And when he retired, because of the amount of money that he had, he could have done anything, or he could have done nothing for the rest of his life. So what did he choose to do? Well, John Kitna chose to take a job teaching math and coaching high school football in a tough, impoverished school on the east side of Tacoma, Washington. He's not there today, but this is what he did for the first several years out of the NFL. And the question is, why would he make a choice like that? A lot of reasons why, but the most important one was that when he was in college... He had surrendered his heart to Christ. He had become a follower of Christ. And as a result, both he and his his wife wanted to live their lives with a sense of purpose. This is what he said about their lives together. He said, we don't believe that we've been given all we've been given to just enjoy a comfortable life. We want to live a meaningful life. That's a great example of everything we've been talking about this morning. It's a great example of living your life with a sense of purpose, finding that place where your deep gladness meets the deep hunger of the world. And what an example to follow. Instead of spending all of our time and all of our energy and all of our resources in the pursuit of an easier life, why not focus on a meaningful life, a purposeful life? That's what drove John Kitna. He would say to his students at that first high school where he coached and taught every day, there's greatness in these halls. Well, I believe there's greatness in this room because I believe God has a purpose for you. And if you're ready to reach out and discover that purpose, then he'll help you do that. And he'll give you the power to fulfill it. And so what's your purpose? What is the good thing that your faith prompts you to do? And if you can't answer that question, that last question, there's not a single thing that you identify that your faith prompts you to do, then maybe you need to get down on your face in the presence of God and renew that commitment to Christ. I want you to pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for a chance to study the Bible this morning. And I pray for the challenge to be in all of our hearts to pursue the reality of living out our salvation in a purposeful way through your power that honors you.